0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the B++ podcast, a podcast where we talk about uh, technology trends, what's the absolute latest, and we speak to technology leaders who are doing something phenomenal. And obviously, today, I'm very happy and excited because we found just the right individual we were looking for, especially in the marketing technology space. Uh, Very happy to have Tim Hill as our guest today. Uh, Tim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Abhi. Yeah, it's great to be here
0: yeah, so let me just introduce you uh, you know to our listeners. and obviously, Tim is the co-founder and CEO of award-winning social Status. You can check out the website at socialstatus.io, and the way uh, best to describe social status would be the Google Analytics of Social Media. Is that correct, Tim?
1: Yeah, that's definitely one way you can where you can put it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's essentially a social reporting tool mm. uh for for marketers and advertisers. So, you know, we we started the business because you know, it's really really time consuming putting social media reports together and uh you know, I I used to have to do it. I used to work in agencies myself. I had the experience mm. the you know, the pain point myself. So, I uh, really wanted to create a tool that automates that process. And essentially, then I can spend my time working on the strategy and, you know, kind of using those insights to make better decisions for the future.
0: Sure. I mean, sounds wonderful. I mean, sounds like a tool we can start using tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) or today, actually. Yeah, I know the pain point, right? We are in that business, uh, not so much the marketing business, but we work with a lot of clients on their digital platforms and I see the struggles of companies small and large and this is exactly the kind of tool uh, that marketers would be absolutely thrilled with and uh, so tell us a bit more about your journey I I understand that you were in the development space yourself then you've had a stint in television and uh, then digital agencies like you mentioned so Mm. that's quite an exciting journey so what how you know tell us a bit more about how those experiences were and what led you to uh, where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because yes, I did start off my career in, in, uh, you know, development. And in saying that though, I never really saw myself going down this road and, Mm -hmm. you know, starting a company, um, albeit a marketing technology company and, you know, creating software that uh, marketers can use. I mean, I, I studied film and TV at at university. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make films. That was, my background and I guess that's what got me into TV. I was working in, in in TV here in Australia in channel channel ten for some time. Uh but ultimately, you know, the the industry in Australia is quite small for, for film and TV. And mm. uh I started getting interested in advertising, kind of natural uh transition away from TV into advertising and got into my first advertising agency. And I really loved it. You know, yeah. the the ad agency environment is so yeah you know live live um, and work and play hard like it's that kind of uh, you know um, experience that um, I think you could you could probably only do for a certain amount of years because it's it's pretty taxing uh, but I love the diversity of work I love the different clients and you know I had government clients uh, as well you know I had uh, a lot of um, big business and small business I've kind of had this uh, ability to work across uh, a number of different client types. And um, mm-hmm. what I found when it came to social media, right? Like what I found was that no matter how big or small the organization was, the mm-hmm. challenges that they face are actually really quite similar. It was always like, what, what's considered good? Like when I'm looking at metrics, is right. that actually good or bad? And then it was, you know, how do we make content better? Uh, how do we kind of reach more people? how do we grow engagement? All of the same kinds of questions, no matter who the client was kept coming Mm. up. And uh, that's when I thought, you know, we, we needed a better way, especially in agency land, needed Mm. a better way to understand performance and benchmark it appropriately. Uh, Because, you know, one, one stat in one industry is Mm. going to be very different uh, to another marketer in another industry. So, um that was really the start of, of social status. And it started as a bit of a side project and mm-hmm. has grown since there uh, into mm-hmm. the platform it is today.
0: Great. And I mean, I can absolutely relate to that. In fact, I was having that conversation with my marketing manager this morning, uh, the thing right. that you just mentioned, what is good enough, right? How yeah. <laughs> benchmark it, right? So in the sense, is engagement, the answer, uh, you know, are people doing something which is a bit more involved? Are they coming back? So yeah, again, I think uh, the the industry is absolutely ready for. A, in fact, I won't say ready. I think the industry has been craving for a tool like that. And yeah. uh, like I said, the marketer especially. And I, I also uh, I think uh, read somewhere, you know, maybe your comment about the fact that this is something a tool for anybody who wants to who has a KPI of marketing on social media and right. uh, and the fact that they need to always constantly justify to the CMOs and, you know, any decision makers why they should do what they are doing and, you know, whether it's being effective at all. So, so, uh, do you hear a lot from marketers who say, well, that's made my life a lot easier now that I have access to this tool.
1: Exactly. I mean, that, that, that is, you know, literally what, what keeps us going and what, what, uh, uh, you know, is the fuel, um, for, for us and the team to, you know, uh, keep developing the product is when we hear you know feedback back from users that say basically without a tool like this there's actually no way to uh get the breadth of insights on performance especially for agencies that are that are doing this across lots of different clients so right. you know some of those clients if you think of uh, organizations that are say multi location like a shopping right. center group for example or you know a gym chain or a restaurant chain any of these kinds of organizations that have lots of social profiles mm-hmm. uh, you know, previously that was really quite impossible to report across the whole group and, and try to identify, you know, things that are working and things that aren't working. And so th- that's, I guess, square one. The the second thing that's really popped up recently is just like the fragmentation that's happening in social. So you've got all these new channels, you've got TikTok and, and Byte and, you know, uh, Triller and there's all of these emerging new platforms and then within the platforms themselves there's emerging media formats so you know you look at instagram just by itself and you've got reels igtv and stories which is now a few years old but there's there's just so much complexity for a digital marketer so uh with the need for automation around reporting and then now this need to kind of almost like pick your battles like what what channel what media format what what um Uh, opportunities are there that we need to hone in on because it's it's pretty impossible to try to do it all unless you're a really large organization
0: right yeah and i mean you're as you rightly said you know we've seen multiple times you know with a lot of organizations trying to do something for the sake of doing something on each of these platforms and like you rightly said pick your battles and you know, for if for instance we are a B two B business and you're selling insurance technology products, you don't probably need to be on TikTok, right? Or, or you exactly. know, so. But but we we see every now and then that you know somebody, some CEO, has an interesting conversation with his daughter at breakfast, and suddenly <laughs> comes and says, "I want to do something on TikTok." So yeah, so I guess you know, this is also a tool for marketers to sort of push back on some of those ridiculous requests, I guess, and, you know, uh, and focus on something that really will deliver results uh, uh, for them. So is it uh, it, uh, safe to understand that the the product, uh, you know, the platform is targeted towards uh, marketers and agencies? Or do you see a broader reach, broader sort of use case across organizations now or in the future
1: it's i would say so our user base is about Mm. 60 to 70 percent agencies Mm uh the rest is brands organizations of Mm. all sorts so you know i i like to see as well just in within if we just look at you know the, the companies um there's everything from sole traders and you know small businesses uh individuals who are you know running their own thing like a like a a photographer for example um whose Mm -hmm. business relies on you know getting new leads from Facebook and Instagram all the way through to you know a global organization um Mm -hmm. so yeah it is a pretty diverse uh, group um but Mm -hmm. then fundamentally you know they're they're again kind of trying to answer the same questions I think what's um interesting as well is um you know, like if we look at the use cases, reporting formats. So how do these individuals want to extract insights from the platform? Is it actually just give me a PDF or give me a PowerPoint? That's Mm -hmm. generally the use case for agencies because they're then white labeling and then, you know, passing it on to the client. But for organizations, it's a little bit different. They're much more interested in browsing, you know, looking at the dashboard, looking at the actual platform itself and, you know I find it interesting um, especially where some some users have very specific uh, metrics that they want to benchmark, um, for example, say the engagement rate that's probably the mm-hmm. most common, or something right. like the 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 reach or organic reach rate, mm-hmm. and how especially uh you know Um, something like the organic reach rate there's this perception that organic reach is is falling on on social channels especially Facebook but uh, you know sometimes that's really not the case like we can see on on channels like Instagram um, again kind of depending on your industry sometimes you're seeing actually organic reach going up uh, and Mm -hmm. bucking this trend where you know a lot of the Uh, kind of trade press and that kind of thing is saying, well, organic reach is, is, is dying or it's dead. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's not the case. And also um, you know, more and more organizations, they're not just creating content. They're also curating or remixing existing content or they're working with others like influencers and creators. And I think increasingly organizations are are having this kind of collaborative approach to their content. So I think now that when they're looking at their metrics, they're going, wow, uh, you know, th- that stuff that we were doing ourselves, that was okay. But then in comparison to, you know, collaborating with a customer or collaborating with, you know, some key people in the organizations, mm-hmm. I love this idea of like organizations working with their CEO, their, you know, their, their CMO or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. to yeah, almost pick out, um internal influencers or internal brand ambassadors and working with them on a kind of personal level because the cut through especially on LinkedIn is fantastic Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely I mean so like you said for agencies obviously it's a godsend you know you can send lovely beautiful reports to your clients and you know something that I've seen hundreds of marketers struggle with over the years and and like you said for organizations it's so important to Uh, not only treat it as a reporting tool, but like, you know, actually, uh, you know, look at the insights that it provides you and that can shape future strategy and marketing uh, plans. And and that's all that, you know, any CMO or marketing director can ask for. So uh, that's wonderful. So, I mean, let's talk about uh, the business model, right? Because uh, every time, you know, the world is so excited about uh, software as a service, SaaS as people call it, And, uh, you know, it's so sexy right now and everyone wants to build uh, SaaS platforms. But as a SaaS platform founder, uh, I mean, I want you to sort of share with our listeners how difficult it is to uh, get those, uh, you know, subscribers, get those people to sort of sign up for paid subscriptions or something. And something that we see over and over again. And, you know, when companies uh, come to us and, you know, they say, oh, we want to build a SaaS platform, we want to build a SaaS platform. And my first question always is, uh, what's your marketing plan, and how do you, you know, how do you yeah. plan to roll out and everything? Because, you know, of course, you need yeah. a robust product, but then even then, the battle—I won't say—is even half. I won't say even half the battle is won. Right? The battle is just getting started. So, yeah. how's that been for you? Did you find it very challenging? Did you sort of stumble upon, uh, you know, some secret uh, mantras of getting people, uh, you know, on the platform? Uh, please do share
1: yeah absolutely um how challenging has it been uh extremely it's it's really (laughs) it's really tough you know i like to uh think of uh a tweet that joel uh the the founder of buffer uh Mm. the the social scheduling tool um said once on on twitter where he said you know if you're if you're starting out in SaaS, buckle up because you're in for a hell of a ride it is a hell of a ride it's it's really hard i think for us, uh, you know being freemium, I think this you know some some founders look at freemium as you know uh, a bit of a kind of risk because you end up having a whole bunch of free users uh, you know and, and so this is kind of I guess a Hootsuite model if we 're talking about models here is um, you know ninety seven ninety eight percent of the user base is free and then you're you're actually making your your money on that tiny percentage that pay now um, you know we we really struggled with pricing at the start Mm -hmm. i think this is a very common thing i hear talking about other founders is pricing is just so hard and i don't i don't know whether anyone's really happy with with pricing uh talking to to other founders like it always is that thing that's just like Mm. i'm sure there's something better we could be doing with pricing but so so when we started off you know a lot of advice that we were getting was you're too cheap Mm. you're too cheap you got to raise your prices uh and so you know we raised prices and we could struggle to convert and i think that this this idea of just simply looking at prices and then making a call um it 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 misses all of that other detail about how people are finding you how how they're assessing you against competitors like it's it's really different per per market Mm so i'm always Mm -hmm. so hesitant to listen to general advice i think like when i talk to other founders who who are asking me, I'm, I always say, I don't know. And my experience is going to be so different to, to your industries and you really have to try it. Um, right. And, you know, um, that idea of just kind of testing with pricing sometimes that's actually quite quite hard to do because where you're acquiring new users changes over time as well. So sometimes you can get kind of false signals, but mm. I would say for us in the early days, yeah pricing was was tricky also we were up against some competitors that were quite far along and mm-hmm. you know although we were doing things differently and i guess prioritizing different fu- functionalities and, and features mm-hmm. uh when a marketer was trialing us in comparison to others uh mm-hmm. we just didn't stack up in terms of all ticking all the boxes so it's it's right. taken us like many years to get the product kind of functional where we can actually win against other competitors, and yeah. you know one thing that i 've always thought was super valuable was maintaining a free version of the product, so that there is that you know still a a, a foot uh, you know in that free camp where you can really build a base of engaged users that that may one day, when they have that need for something a bit more powerful, step up because that step up is is fairly low. Like our our entry point is twenty nine dollars a month, so it's quite accessible for a lot of right. businesses. Um, and yeah, I think that that you know having that engaged free base rather than just free trial for fourteen days and then you get cut off and then that's it, um, yeah. means that um, yeah, we we really did. Uh, we, we were really quite inspired by what Hootsuite had achieved mm. in the publishing and scheduling world. We wanted to right. emulate that in
0: analytics. Right. Wonderful. I mean, I, I mean, thanks for being so transparent and, you know, because oh, this, is, this is invaluable, right? Uh, I think, you know, a lot of founders out there, they would be like, wow, you know, this is exactly the problem that I'm facing today. So, you know, every time we work with startups and, you know, we see some of the challenges that they are facing in the SaaS space is, you know, like you mentioned, if you uh, you know, it's the 14-day trial. So is your product compelling enough for people to continue using it? In most cases, it's not, right? Because pro- yeah. products yeah. need to evolve as well. So premium, yeah. you know, is always a great way to go because at least they, you always have them. So as you're rolling out new features, you know, you can send them uh, an EDM saying, you know, try out a new feature. Maybe that sort of pushes them uh, to, you know, purchase the subscription. And then of course... Yes. You know, pricing is, again, always a tricky one because uh, you don't want to alienate people by pricing it too high. But at the same time, uh, you know, the whole idea is if you keep it low, how many thousands and thousands of users do you need to sort of start making any serious money? So, again, yeah. I mean, we are all all trying to figure that out. I mean, my, my sort of uh, theory on that is that, you know, keep the price low. And obviously, keep focusing on the depth of the product. And I think what I saw on on the social status website is that you have multiple pricing tiers as well. So I think yeah. that always helps in a way that you know people can find what they are looking for. So not everyone may be able to pay thousand dollars plus every month, but at the same time, they are happy to spend maybe two three hundred dollars, and then it's a it's a more gradual sort of a move towards you know all the features and everything which i thought was very clever so uh, you know congratulations on that yeah uh, thank you <laughs> yeah then the other thing i wanted to discuss again from a founders uh, perspective is you know you have raised some capital i believe mm-hmm. you know uh, and and so that's also uh, in fact i am currently uh, mentoring a couple of uh, startups and they were just asking Uh, should we start approaching the VCs already? And, you know, so they are still in the development stage and, you know, one getting closer to more on an alpha beta kind of a stage. So uh, I always, you know, I'm a bit conservative in terms of when you should, you know, go and speak to the, you know, VCs, maybe maybe a different story for angels. So uh, firstly, I mean, what are some of the steps that you would, you know, maybe recommend to a founder before they go out there, uh, start raising money? What's a good time to start raising money? And, and what kind of challenges do you think they can expect?
1: I think for founders starting out, uh, ironically, a good time to raise money is when you, you're not making any money uh (laughs) i've I've just kind of found that yeah now that we're we've been in market for a while the the minute that you actually start having revenue trickle in Mm. everything becomes about your revenue right so uh you know when we when we raised uh that was quite early on right so that was uh, quite a few years ago now and it was an angel it was an angel round and uh Mm. i think it made it a lot more uh look put it this way i think the the focus was much more on the opportunity and you know the team and what we had achieved so far and where we were wanting to go, versus, you know, all the hard figures of you know MRR and churn rate and and growth rate and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I I think in in for founders starting out, you it's it's useful to know which track you're going to go down although you don't necessarily have to but whether you're going to bootstrap this you're going to grow it organically you're going to kind of do it yourself and then maybe look at these new hybrid things like you know taking debt instead of equity and that kind of thing and now that now with all these um you know revenue-based financing like i think that that that's a really viable option for a lot of companies sure. versus do you look to do angel or seed or you know go down that road where essentially you're uh, much more kind of getting towards that idea of raising multiple times again you don 't have to like we 've only raised the one the one time and it 's not like there 's any pressure on us to to raise, but we were kind of interested in going back out to market last year, and sure. of course that was really hard when a lot of funds were just not willing to talk to you when you know the the kind of industry was closing up but um, yeah it, it's it's i think that um, when you're starting out, um, if I think back to when we raised, it was connecting with angels or, you know, these high net worth individuals that mm. immediately got it. That was probably the thing that that uh, summarizes, you know, the view of a few of our early angels is that they got it straight up. Like, you know, right. we weren't necessarily earning Uh, any revenue from it because we were very early on with the product but they got the Mm -hmm. opportunity they could see it in market um Mm -hmm. others were executing in the space we were um, convinced that there was a better way to do it and Mm -hmm. you know we had a a version of the product that was working well with a with a few test customers and so yeah we were able to raise you know 300k uh australian dollars but um Mm -hmm. i think that's with without that um it's it's hard and there were a lot of, lots of meetings and lots of cups of coffee that I had to have to, in order to find those people that actually, yeah, really, really kind of got it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. Uh, I think I'll take many takeaways from what you just said. And again, like I said, you know, nothing like a founder sharing his experience and I can't even tell you how much is going to help hundreds of uh, founders or, you know, budding entrepreneurs out there. And and the two or three things that really stand out for me based on what you said is one, start raising money before, uh, you know, making any revenues. So the pre-revenue stage, because, yeah, yeah then people say, oh, you're only making $5,000. That not, that's not exciting at all, you know, because yeah. then it's all about the numbers. So that's very interesting. The second thing you mentioned was also the fact that, you know, try and find angels, you know, who probably look at the opportunity in a different way and who don't necessarily, you know, follow a rule book in terms of we will invest yeah. in a company when it's at this stage or whatever else it is. So if you have a, a, an inspiring product and, you know, you're very confident about it and you have the MVP with some users and you, you know, it's been tested out, then that's a good time to approach an angel. And the third thing that I feel, uh, you know, what you said really stood out for me is the team, right? So, I mean, there is yeah. no business out there, no startup out there, uh, you know, well, uh, which is worthy of any kind of investments if you know the investors don't believe in the team so so my next question actually is going to be based on the, the team itself so again uh, you know i do something called the startup success boot camp at some of the universities here and one of the things that i spend a lot of time on uh, for for these entrepreneurs is uh, finding the right team and i'm glad you sort mm. of touched upon it one is so my question to you is Uh, when you have an idea like that. So I mean, of course, is there anything that you do other than, of course, trying to find somebody with a complementary skill set that you should look for uh, in a co-founder? And moving beyond co-founders, you know, for Mm -hmm. the first, let's say, five people or 10 people, is there something that you should look for? That's number one. And secondly, uh, how are you doing it currently? Is your development team based locally or do you have remote developers? Because now that we live in this remote world, does it make a difference? Because one of the concerns obviously is intellectual property protection. You know, you don't want to yeah. be sharing too much with somebody who's like 10,000 miles away and things like that. So so, uh, what's your view on, you know, building that core team and developing locally versus uh, remotely?
1: I really... Uh... I really kind of, you know, feel the pain that a lot of founders experience when they're right at the start of their journey and they want, and they're trying to find a co-founder. That's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, you know, I I see it myself. I'm I'm working in a co-working place myself here. And, Mm. you know, you see the early stage companies that are like, Oh, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to find a co-founder and they're going to networking events. And ultimately, you know, that, that kind of thing, um, you know, back in the day when we went to networking events, uh, that was um, a an, a decent way to get out into the community and find others. I think um, where you can really uh, find success with a co-founder is I think literally just by starting and seeing how the relationship goes. I, I think that that's, it's very hard to um, judge this until you actually start working together for a period of time. And so as a, as a solo founder, I would suggest, um, like two solo, solo founders to, um, start working with someone just on a freelance basis and see how it goes for, for, you know, um, some, some weeks, some months, if you can, if you can do that, because, uh, i I kind of feel like this is the same as well with with employees i find that um you know when i think back to my time in agencies and how agencies used to recruit they used to go through these individuals used to go through rounds and rounds of interviews and they might have excelled by you know interview number six and then they start Mm -hmm. the job and after the first week everyone hates them and it's just like what why have we you know, spent so, so much time interviewing these people when they haven't actually sat with the team and done some work? So yeah. um, I, I always tend to find that you know, just kind of killing yourself doing interviews is not, not um, the right idea. I think working on a real ad hoc basis at the start, whether that's a co-founder or just you know, an employee, is, is a really good first step, and especially yeah. in a team environment. Um, yeah. Having everyone decide collaboratively, um, that's a, probably a very tech thing to do, and and absolutely doesn't happen uh, outside of tech that much. But I think that that's really um, a good way to do it. Because to answer your third question, we are a remote team, so we were remote from day one. Uh, we're all in different places uh, around the world, actually. So our our mm-hmm. development is out of Brazil, and I'm um, co-founder, and I are in Australia, and then we have analysts in the Philippines. So uh, we we were we've always been on Zoom. Uh, and kind yeah. of um now that the world is has has moved to to zoom and teams and slack and you know all these tools um yeah that's that 's been how a lot of um tech companies have been working i I do see where you know organizations are more outsourcing um as you said with i p that 's a really big issue potentially yeah. um and so we haven 't really outsourced other you know it's been more about finding individuals who are passionate about you know the why that we're doing this and can also you know see the value of where this is going and get excited about the market and um yeah and finding those those people wherever they are like whether or not they're here in my city or on the other side of the world um time zones and that kind of thing hasn't been really a big issue um we've managed to get everything down to the stand-up being asynchronous so basically everything in the organization is asynchronous mm-hmm. um so it can be done and there's a lot of companies that that blog about this like like buffer i keep mentioning buffer but right. <laughs> um yeah so uh you know there, there's there's templates i guess the way you can see other organizations doing this well um mm-hmm. and and yeah not not to feel like there's um uh, any any limits on um, how you can work. But then, yeah, also being mindful about these kinds of marketplaces like Upwork or or freelancer.com. They're not bad, but, but I, I do mm. see that, you know, a lot of uh, founders have run into problems where they're just mm. simply outsourcing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, hiring dedicated people as opposed to trying uh, freelancers out, the other thing that you mentioned, is instead of interviewing somebody 25 times, get them to work on something small for a, a short period of time to see whether yeah. they're any good or are they uh, good to work with? Yeah, and not a total nightmare. So, yeah. So those some of those are some of the things I'm sure, you know, you know people can learn a lot from. So when you say, uh, you know, uh, that's fascinating, right? So you're here, somebody's sitting in Brazil, somebody's in the Philippines, and, and that's, that's like a dream come true for a lot of founders out there, right, so who are right. struggling, and like you said, I like the way you said, back when we used to go for networking, or something, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it already feels like uh, half a century uh, ago. It doesn't it? it so. fe- yeah, right. it feels so long ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I remember, three years back, somebody was trying to recommend uh, networking uh, events to me. And I've always uh, sort of found them to be a bit unproductive, uh, to be kind uh, to them, actually. I could say worse things. But uh, So, yeah. And so I'm so glad that the world has moved on from those networking events. Uh, And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, coming back to the point of hiring those teams. So, okay. So if we can't find some of those people on, say, uh fivers and freelancer.com and upwork and everything so Mm. how would a founder let's say sitting in malaysia or new zealand how would he or she you know look for like-minded people who can get behind the you know like you said the why and and what's what's the platform that you would use would it be linkedin
1: actually linkedin has uh, yeah there's there's good opportunity on linkedin uh you know some some linkedin groups that i'm part of uh you know, you can see you can find like-minded people. You know what I've also found with with other groups um, mm. uh, that um, you know seem to have a lot of value these days are Slack communities. Uh, right. You know, I'm I'm part of a few Slack communities, specifically in you know Martech, mm. in digital marketing and that kind of thing. Right, um, right. And they're they're really not too dissimilar to to LinkedIn though, in that uh, having mm. having the the ability to have thematic conversation in a community. I think that was a really simple thing and it's ultimately borrowed from, you know, internet relay chat in the nineties, but wow, that's so powerful. You know, if, yeah. if you have a few hundred, a few thousand people in one place, but you've mm. got, you know, you know um, strategy, jobs, introduction, like all these themes, all these channels that you can jump into and then have, have conversation about that that theme. Um, Mm. I think that that's, that's really been where I've seen in these Slack communities. That's really been where there's a lot of values. Um, You can, you can get to the point really, really quickly where that's hard to do. Um, Sometimes on LinkedIn, where everyone's approaching from different angles. Um, The other thing I think, thinking back to when we made our first hires was we were actually part of an accelerator. So Mm. we joined and we were really lucky to get into the hackers and founders accelerator in, in San Jose. And right. that connected us with a, a number of people um, where I think that's a really great um, outcome of going to an accelerator is that they're really for that short amount of time, 90 days, or, you know, however mm. these long these accelerator programs are their, their mission is to connect you with as many people that they can to help you. Right. And yeah. ultimately our employee number one came from a connection you know, to someone in a university who was the lecturer, who's, who we were, you know, looking for a great Ruby on Rails developer. And this lecturer said, I've got a, a plus student that you have to meet. And suddenly, you know, we had that connection, right? So, um, yeah, I, you know, we would not have have found them if it wasn't for that connection. And I think you know there there are a lot of accelerators, and there are many now that are distributed, and they're accepting mm-hmm. applications from all over the world. So yeah. I think the barriers have come down. You know, as you said, where you're mentioning founders in, I I, I think you'd save kind of more remote countries. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no barrier now. You know, you can you can yeah. you can get into Jason Calacanis' accelerator if you're on the other side of the world now. So uh, I yeah. think it's yeah that it's it's a lot more accessible. So uh, now that there's more of them as well, and plus, you know, you get some, some, you know, a few dollars out of it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Hackers and founders, interestingly, the, the way that they worked with was, was there wasn't actually a payment. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. make an investment in the company. It was basically mm-hmm. a service based uh, arrangement where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as that came part of that was, um, you know, the, the connections and getting you wherever you are in your journey, helping you mm-hmm. get to the next step. Um, but yeah i think at, at the very least you know having um, i've gotten really back into twitter recently as well just the, okay. kind of the last thing to to add in yeah, and yeah. i've it's funny like i've had i've had a twitter account for for some time and was quite dormant i think for the last few years but it seemed to have been really during more during the pandemic that i've gotten into back into twitter and the conversations that you can have and connect with with people there are uh I think really quite invaluable. Um, And I would add that to the list of, you know, the Slack groups and LinkedIn groups or Facebook groups is, is Mm. Twitter, Twitter, um, you know, is written off a lot, but in, Mm. in the tech community, I think that that's a, there's a great place to network.
0: Sure. Great. Uh, So, I mean, just uh, summarizing, you know, the founders or like anybody looking to sort of develop anything remotely can look at Slack communities. LinkedIn groups, accelerators, you know, Twitter, of course, like you mentioned. So basically, you know, don't hesitate, just get out there and speak to people and speak to as many people as possible. And you don't have to do that physically now that everything's happening, you know, virtually in any case. So yeah, thanks for those insights. Uh, You know, talking about, uh, you know, social status, what's next? What's next for you uh, from a... Product perspective and what's next for you uh, from a business perspective for 2021 and beyond.
1: Yeah, well, product-wise, where we're going ultimately with Social Status is predictive analytics. So mm-hmm. right now, the product's really focused on looking back in time. You know, right. when when you when you've already executed, you know, for last month, the right. product's really great at going, okay, here's here's what you did and here's how it compared to competitors, etc. Mm-hmm. Where we want right. to go is much more about helping i don't think we'll ever Mm. get i I, put it this way i think it's going to be really hard to automate strategy but i think it's really about enabling strategy Mm. uh to the extent where you know you could the product can get to saying here's what you should do for next month um Mm. if if you then execute that according to the plan of, of what is being put together then then, mm. the assessment of how that went becomes a lot more interesting because it's mm. it 's based on predictions that the model has made, what you 've executed you know in line with those predictions or or not like what you've what you 've ignored and then done you know done something different so we really want to get to that stage of being able to um, you know sort reporting uh, back in time but also suggest what to do in the future sure. um, there's there's a few in the space uh but it is really quite quite early on and i think Mm -hmm. that still practically you know sitting down with some of these tools and actually using them Mm -hmm. they're they're very much i would say on rails in that you you, you're kind of like um it's it's very kind of simple at at this stage Mm -hmm. and i think that there's a still a long way to go so whether that's going to be cracked this year or or maybe at some point in the future it it would. There's going to take some time, I think, to get there. Um, sure. But for the business, I think you know what we what we've ultimately um, tried to be is the, you know, the, the the product of choice when it comes to to understanding social performance. And while that's just becoming so much harder um, mm-hmm. to do, I think that that always means that goal is always going to be in front of us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, when you when you even look at you know, even other things like how people's usage is changing of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. With social media now becoming, you know, uh, much more of a mainstream topic in terms of, mm. you know, we're spending too much time on social media or there's all this fake news and they're taking, they're stealing all my data and all this kind of uh, mm. anxiety around social media um, that affects mm. how people use the channels. And so, yeah. you know, as, as marketers, we're aware that, channels are fragmenting and things are getting a lot more complex in terms of creating content but now people are actually behaving a lot more differently um mm. usage is changing um and you know devices we're we're spending more time on on mobile and and mm. uh i think the it's almost like kind of building a product on shifting sands because you know it's just it's just always in flux so yeah. i think that this challenge is always going to be be there and and i i really feel that i'm going to be kind of be battling this until you know as long as i can see
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i think we're all in the same boat and that's the world that we live in things are sort of moving so dramatically and in fact if somebody says i think i know what i'm going to do for the next five years so you know like for instance This is one of the questions I used to ask back in the day. What do you plan to do for the next five years? Now I ask them, what do you plan to do for the next six months or something? (laughs) So so I have changed my definition of long term. Long term, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now I say short term is today and this week. Medium term is from today to the next three months. And long-term is three months to 12 months, you know? Yeah, oh, I <laughs> totally that, agree. Yeah, yeah. After that, we may have another pandemic. Who knows, right? Yeah. So maybe we have another virus lurking around the corner, right? So Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, like you said, the predictive space can be very exciting. And yeah, I know it's, it's early days in that space as well because I can't think of many tools which are doing it and, and doing it effectively. So I think that's a very interesting space Uh, that you're getting into. And I wish you all the best uh, for that. I'm sure you're going to crack that. And, and, you know, since you uh, sort of touched upon uh, this for a bit in terms of, you know, how everything's changing in uh, the technology world, especially in the social media space, and you probably understand social media space better than uh, most people out there. So what are some of the trends that you're uh, picking up on? You mentioned earlier you know during our discussion about how facebook's slowing down a bit instagram's always trying to be a bit more like tiktok tiktok has its own kind of struggles to deal with so w- yeah. if if you were to make let's say uh, your own prediction for you know a trend that's emerging or a product that's emerging in social media over the next 12 to 24 months what would that be
1: i'll i'll you know i like the the idea of Uh, You know, trying to pick it, pick this because I've historically been terrible at at picking (laughs) trends. The first time I saw, you know, the, the, uh, what TikTok was before was musically. The first time I downloaded musically, I looked at it and I just thought, no one's going to do this. No one's (laughs) (laughs) going to, no one's going to take, take tracks and, and do a dance or something. No one's going to do that. And then look at it, it exploded. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I, look, I think, um, where where it seems like we're heading is everyone, you know, wants to be uh, a creator now. Um, I think that this idea of kind of influencer marketing and, you know, working with individuals who uh, have these really big communities, that's, you know, one facet of it. But there's this really, really long tail of like what YouTube and TikTok are calling the creator um, community, which is you know, individuals that have a decent amount of following and they're all trying to see how they can make it viable enough for them to just do that so that they don't mm-hmm. have to, you know, rock up at a at a nine to five job and they can, you know, create mm-hmm. this content and, and do all these collaborations with brands. Um, mm-hmm. So I think what that means um, in terms of, um, you know, new technologies, new platforms is that, you know we we're, we're going to see much more rich media based channels mm. um, and you know while I say that uh, you know ringing in my head is you know this idea of clubhouse, which is not rich media it's just audio only uh, yeah. and so you know who knows what's going to happen um, there but there's there's certainly a lot of hype about clubhouse and so where where there's where there's hype. Um, There'll be users piling in, and then ultimately we'll we'll see what happens. You know, for, for the next kind of million users, whether that can can grow ten x. But what I would always think is that things, um, you know, the actual media types on these channels will just become more rich. So, you know, we're definitely in the era of video at the moment. I feel that you know, for marketers, for individuals, you can you can get a message out on social. It will probably do a lot better if it's, if it's video much more than it will an image. Um, So, you know, if that means that as marketers, we need to be um, much more mindful about creating video content, then that will mean that probably it will perform better than than the non-video content. And maybe in the future, we will see, you know, newer forms of this, this kind of uh you know remixing capability that we're seeing in in tiktok and instagram reels um Mm -hmm. being able to edit videos really really quickly being able to add styles and effects to videos really really easily um Mm -hmm. being able to splice and combine things together and i think just kind of create rich media content um all on your phone really really easily um So, yeah, I would, I would think that it would be uh, the future is, you know, much more about rich media, uh, which is a little bit like how it is now, but um, it'll just become more and more that way, I would say.
0: Sure, absolutely. And, you know, maybe newer versions of TikToks of the world will come out. And, and I think one of the things that you mentioned just now was so interesting about how uh, platforms will make it easier for people to sort of skip their nine to five lives and th- turn them into some kind of brand ambassadors, if I may, uh, and brands can work with these individuals. That'll be very interesting. So maybe that's the new yeah. form of employment. Uh, you know, who knows yeah. what's uh, going to happen. And that's what keeps this uh, space so exciting. And exactly. and finally, before we wrap up, uh, what's next for Tim? Uh, since you are completely handling... Uh, remote team Uh, where do you plan to work from next are you already on a digital nomad visa headed somewhere what what do you plan to do as soon as the borders open up and you know the world comes back to some uh, degree of normalcy
1: yeah I you know just before the the pandemic I was really looking into this uh Estonian digital you know the Estonian visa I love the I love the idea you know um And and I would love that, uh, that freedom to be able to, you know, work out of different countries and experience mm. different cultures. I think that's especially in, and I think this will be really this, the case for a lot of founders, mm. what they're working on really has application in many, many cities. I think that when I speak to marketers right. here in Australia, a, a marketer in Sydney has is thinking about is reading is reading is doing and is working on very similar things and you know trying to solve problems that a marketer in Santiago is working on I I find that really fascinating that wherever we are that the pain points are very similar when you look at this at a kind of industry level so um you know working in Martech working specifically in kind of the social media space I feel that really this you can you can pick up some interesting cultural insights um just through this shared experience of the 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 common pain points around uh social reporting as experienced by by many marketers around the world where i would want to live i mean I've, i've always loved the idea of um you know spending some uh working life in the us um i'm not sure perhaps maybe the last few years have has changed that a little bit and maybe i'm 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 kind of more interested in europe but um mm. it it also makes me realize that that um we're quite lucky here in this part of the world um you know in in the apac region um yeah. in, in with you know in, in regards to um where things are at now it is fairly stable when you compare this to other parts of the world so i'm absolutely. very th- thankful for for you know where where we live but um yeah who knows I, I've, I've always loved the idea of europe so maybe somewhere there in the future let's see
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely i think that's going to be uh the next conversation that we need to have because that's an area of huge interest for me And uh, I I won't call myself a bit of an expert, but I do know a few things about that. And I always ask, I always ask founders about it. And I, you know, it's so fascinating. You know, we have, we live in a completely digital world. We are hiring remotely. We are running businesses, like you said, which have implications for multiple markets. So why restrict ourselves to one place? And there are so many interesting and exciting places out there. And yes, no place is perfect. And, you know, you may go there and, you know, the Estonian e residents or entrepreneur uh, residence and you may just realize uh, six months into it that, you know, this is not what uh, everything that is made out to be, but at the same time, it'll be an experience yeah. that you'll never forget. So, exactly. uh, just wishing you all the best and uh, you know, 2021 full of experiences and uh, you know, hopefully when the next time we speak, you're already in a European country, building a team in Europe and rolling out the product uh, you know, in those markets Thank you so much, Tim. It was wonderful talking to you.
1: Thanks, Evi. Yeah, and, pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and for all the listeners, just a reminder, go check out socialstatus.io. It's a wonderful platform. If you're a marketer, if you're an agency, or if you're working for an organization and you don't know how to uh, spend your marketing dollars and you need help with that, it's a great platform. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, speak soon.